started um, this series a few weeks ago um, based on what's happening in the Middle East at the moment, based on what's happening in Israel. Uh, a lot of people have asked, you know, is this Bible prophecy, is what's happening in Israel part of God's plan? Does God have a timetable for this world? And he does. And we can see that timetable laid out in the seven Jewish feasts. Um, and we uh, started um, with the feast of Passover last week. Um, we have the feast of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Pentecost. They are the spring feasts. So they happened uh, at the Lord's crucifixion um, and um, culminated a few days after his ascension. Then there's a break. That's the spring feast. Then there's a break. And then there's the fall feast, the autumn feasts. Uh, and that is trumpets, day of atonement, or Yom Kippur, and tabernacles. Now then, there's a gap between the spring feasts and the autumn feasts. We are looking at why God instituted these feasts in the first place. We're then looking at what Christ did to fulfill these feasts. And then we're looking at what these mean to us. Now then, the spring feasts were fulfilled at Christ's first coming. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost were all fulfilled when Christ came to this earth. Now then, the autumn feasts will be fulfilled when Christ comes back to this world. They are Jewish feasts. They are not feasts for the church. Trumpets is not a picture of the rapture. The rapture is for the church. It's not for Israel. Jewish people can be a part of the church by accepting Christ. Yes, that's absolutely true. If a Jewish person accepts Christ as their savior, at the rapture they will go up to be with the Lord because they are part of the church. But these feasts are for Israel. Israel as a nation will not be saved completely until the Lord returns. They will go through what's known as the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Again, the tribulation is not for the church. It's for Israel. Um, yes, there will be Gentiles saved during the tribulation, but the tribulation is the day of Jacob's trouble. It's for Israel. As a result of the tribulation, Israel will be saved. Then they will fulfill the prophecy spoken of by Zechariah when they look on him whom they've pierced. When they say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So, we have the spring feast being fulfilled by Christ at his first coming, then a gap, and the autumn feast being fulfilled by his second coming. So what happens in between? That's where we are right now. So we are going to look at the first four feasts and look at what God intended for them, how Christ fulfilled them, what they mean to us. And then before we look at the last three feasts, we're going to look at this gap period that we are in now. And we're going to look at what needs to happen before the Lord Jesus Christ returns to fulfill those final feasts. And that'll give us an idea of what's going on in Israel, why Israel is so important, why the world is focused upon Israel, uh, why everybody feels like they have a say on what goes on in Israel. Um, so that we'll cover that in between Pentecost and Trumpets. So this week, last week, we looked at the feast, of Pente the feast of Passover, and we looked at how the Lord instituted that feast, 
He instituted it um, to protect the firstborn in the homes. Remember how perfect the Lord Jesus Christ's death was. You know, they were to look at these lambs a few days before the lambs were slain, how Jesus came into Jerusalem a few days before he went to the cross and he was examined. The, the lamb was to be without blemish and without spot. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was examined for those days before his crucifixion. And even Pilate said uh, on several occasions, I find no fault in him. They could not even get witnesses to agree at his trial of what he had done that was wrong. They had to fabricate something uh, and take something he said out of context in order to accuse him of blasphemy, which then could warrant the death penalty. Um, so we looked last week at how God instituted that for the protection of the firstborn, how Christ fulfilled that as the perfect Passover lamb, and what it means to us. Um, can I say this to you? If, if you do not have the blood of Christ on the lintel of your heart, then the angel of death, as we tend to call him, it was the Lord himself that came through the land. Um, but if, if you don't have that blood applied to your heart, then you will have to face God as you would judge. Just like Pharaoh did. Whereas Pharaoh could have faced God as his redeemer, as his savior, if he'd applied the blood. Um, so this, uh, today, we're going to be looking at the second of the spring feasts, and that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We're going to look at Leviticus 23 and, and look at one verse, and then we're going to jump back into Exodus chapter 12 uh, and kind of go through that then as our, as our passages for tonight. So Leviticus 23 and verse 6, it says, On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord, Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. It says that in the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You should do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Seven days in the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Father, we thank you again for this day tonight, and we thank you for this opportunity to come around your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to have a copy of your word in our hands and to take comfort in that the, the fact that there's so much wickedness going on around us in the world today, sometimes we might think that, that God has lost control, that there is no God because of what's happening, but we see you have a perfect timetable for what is happening in the world today and what will happen in the world in days to come. So Father, as we look at these feasts, help us to take comfort from these feasts, to see that you have taken care of every single minute detail. And because of that, we can trust you for everything. So Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly, not on the BBC, and not on Sky News, not on anything else. Help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will trust the truth of your word. And as a result of that, uh, we will be aware of what's happening in this world and why it's happening. So Father, we just ask if there's anyone here tonight that has never trusted you as their savior, that tonight would be the night that they'd apply that blood to their hearts and that they would know you uh, and come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask these things in his name. Amen. So we see that uh, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the second of the spring feast. And we're looking at what God has done. Why did God uh, institute this feast? 
Uh, it was uh, to be celebrated on, or begin on the 15th day of Nisan. That was the day after Passover. But what was the purpose of this feast? Uh, one commentator said this. He said, the Passover was the cause, the feast of unleavened bread, the effects of their deliverance from the grasp of Egypt. Unlike Passover, Passover was just one day. Unleavened bread was to go on for seven days. Lehman Strauss says this, there is a vital truth in all of this. Passover was a one-day feast, and the slaying of the lamb was a single act. But these feasts of longer duration point to the outcome of the act. While God brought deliverance to Israel through the agency of the Passover lamb, he used unleavened bread to develop the people into an actual nation. Since God actually passed through Egypt on the night of Passover, and since he honored the sign of the blood over the doors, the firstborn, who did they owe their lives to? They didn't owe their lives to Moses. They didn't owe their lives to Pharaoh. They owed their lives to the Lord because they followed his instructions. And when God saw the blood, he passed over the house. Um, he uh, redeemed them, and um, this is how the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that was how he's going to form them into a nation. Israel couldn't be a nation until it left Egypt. More importantly, Israel couldn't be a nation until they left Egypt's influence. How many times have we said, it was easier to get Israel out of Egypt than it was to get Egypt out of Israel. Prior to the Passover, uh, the um, Hebrews had lived in fear of their Egyptian masters. But after Passover, um, it was Egypt that lived in fear of the Israelites. Psalm 105, 38 says, Egypt was glad when they departed. For fear of them fell upon them. The Israelites were in fear of their Egyptian taskmasters while they were slaves. But after Passover, it was the Egyptians that were afraid of the Israelites. After the Passover night, the Egyptians couldn't wait to get Israel out of Egypt. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. And we have a little bit more detail there. Egypt. Uh, Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, and it says in verse 33 that the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead men. So they couldn't wait to see uh, the Hebrews go. In their haste, the only provision the Hebrews were able to take was dough that had no time to rise. It says then in verse 34, And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. Exodus 12, 39 says, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victuals. What then is leaven? What is leaven? 
yeah, we would say yeast. Leaven, obviously, it was slightly different back then. Leaven is a, a rising agent. Um, Hannah has started making sourdough bread. Um, and we were there um, a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm just trying to think when it was. No, it was before May. It was when she was in the house. Maybe it was when. In, I don't know. Anyway, it's not important. Uh, we were there, and she said, she said to me, she said, I'm going to feed my dough. <laughs> what? So I'm going to feed my dough. So what she did, she'd have this dough, and when left, naturally begins to rise. So then she just adds more dough to it, and the risen dough starts to affect the dough that she just added to it. So she said she was feeding her dough. That's what they would do. Um, they would have a piece of dough that would begin to rise. When they would add more dough to that already risen dough, leavened, the leaven would affect the unrisen dough and would permeate through it. Um, the theological significance of leaven lies in the action of the yeast uh, rather than the yeast itself because over time, that small amount of yeast permeates the whole batch of dough. God's Feast of Unleavened Bread reminded the Israelites um, just as they had left the physical leaven of, uh, uh, of Egypt behind, they should also leave the moral corruption associated with leaven. Leaven's never a good thing in Scripture. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, the, you know, the, um, the, the kingdom parables, you know, with the, the little leaven leaven at the whole lump, and, you know, it was only a little bit of leaven, and it affected everything. That's not a good thing. That's not talking about the gospel going out and reaching the whole world. That's talking about um, corruption affecting something that is good. Leaven is never a good thing in Scripture. So, the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminded the Israelites that they, in haste, left Egypt. But just as they were leaving the physical leaven, um, corruption behind, so they were leaving the spiritual corruption of leaven behind. So how does that relate to what Christ did? Um, how does this feast relate at all to what Christ would do? Well, immediately when we think of dough and the feast of unleavened bread, what do we think of in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ and one of the titles that he gave himself? The bread of life. We think immediately of Christ as the bread of life. But he would not have been any old bread the Lord Jesus Christ would have been the unbread, uh, unleavened bread of life. Um, we said last week that Passover pictured Christ's sacrifice. Uh, unleavened bread pictures his death. And, and you say, well, wait a minute. Leaven pictures sin and corruption. Uh, unleavened symbolizes purity and freedom from sin. Psalm 16 says, For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one, to see corruption. In this context, we recognize hell, whenever we see that word, it's, it's Hades, um, meaning the underworld, the grave, the pit. Um, it doesn't mean the place of everlasting punishment, um, the punishment of hellfire. Um, this is a messianic prophecy. Um, Jesus is here to proclaim that his body would not see corruption. Um, he didn't see corruption. Um, when uh, 
when was Jesus' body in the grave? His body was in the grave during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, he died at the Feast of Passover. He went into the grave uh, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, as we said, he portrayed himself as the bread of life. On the night of Passover, um, he pictured his body as the bread. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and said unto them, uh, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now, we, we tend to forget the type of bread that the Lord Jesus Christ would have been holding. I understand that these are what they use today, but this, this is based on what the bread would have look like. And when we look at what we call the matzahs, and the, we, um, we've used these for our um, communion, what do you notice about them? First of all, there's all little holes along there. Um, and then we see patches of marks, and we see stripes all through the bread. Um, it's no coincidence that Isaiah said that the Lord Jesus Christ would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Um, you can't have a better picture for what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. So he died on Passover. He was in the grave um, at the start of unleavened bread. So what does that mean to us? They tell us what Christ would do, but how does this relate to us in terms of what we should be doing? If Passover pictures our salvation, unleavened bread pictures our sanctification. Um, remember, Passover happened one time. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a, you know, a, a one-night thing. Unleavened bread lasted for seven days. You see, at the point of salvation, it, it's a one-time occurrence. You don't get saved and then, you know, do something bad enough to lose it, and then get saved again, and then kind of wander off and do something bad to lose it, and then get saved again, you, you get saved. Passover pictures our salvation. You know, the Lord came through Egypt one time. If the blood was on the lintels, the Lord passed over. If it wasn't, then there was death in the house. When you apply the blood to your life, salvation is a one-time deal. And leavened bread carries on for a lot longer. What does that mean? Our sanctification is not something that just happens. It is a continuous process. We recognize the fact that Egypt in Scripture is always a picture of the world. It is uh, associated with faithlessness and dependence upon human resource instead of God. Isaiah 31 said, Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek they the Lord. Hebrews 11, 26 to 27 says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the road. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Passover, or salvation in Christ, brings us out of Egypt. It brings us out of the world. 
Leaven, as I said earlier, is a type of sin. It's a type of corruption. It is a picture of everything that is unclean. Paul said this, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This shows us that when Christ enters into our lives, there is a cleansing. What we see in uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as they go into a bit more detail in Leviticus, they were to go through the house and they were to literally get every bit of leaven out of the house. When Christ saves us, there's a cleansing process that goes on in our lives. When Christ enters our lives, everything that is unholy and unclean has to go. That's when sanctification takes place. Sanctification is, is not a big, fancy, clever word. It's a posh word for literally being a saint, which just means to be set aside, to be set apart, to be different. According to Exodus 12, 15, it says, Exodus 12, 15, seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, the soul shall be cut off from Israel. All leaven was to be removed from the home, ensuring not a single lump was remaining. For seven days, they were then to eat unleavened bread. Bread. As we said, Passover was a one-time a one event. Unleavened bread lasted a lot longer. Passover one day and it was done. The type of Christ's death upon the cross at Calvary, the work of redemption was complete. But the longer feasts, and there's two of those longer feasts, they point to the outcome of what um, uh, the, what preceded. Unleavened bread presents us with a picture of the character of the believer's life after he's received Christ. We are to rid our lives of leaven. So, what type of leaven is there? First of all, the Lord talks uh, about a couple of types of leaven. First of all, there is the leaven of hypocrisy. Um, Jesus began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So can I say this? As we are sweeping the house clean after Passover, after salvation, we need to clean the house. You ever had a spring clean? You ever picked up, we moved our furniture around yesterday. Um, Joe's fanatic. When we go in away, he's like, we've got to clean the house just so it looks nice and tidy in case we get burgled. Just so the burglars can find everything. We've got to clean the house right through. You know, so we kind of, we moved the settee to, to, to move the room around. And it's, it's quite amazing, the type of stuff that you find under the settee. It was so dusty. But if we'd not moved the settee, we wouldn't have seen it. And we, we, we do hoover, I promise. We do hoover. We're not un, unclean people. But when you move things, then you, you notice the dirt. What I'm saying is, is, Sometimes we've got to have a spring clean in our lives. We don't always 
I'm sure you don't always, like every week, think, oh, I tell you what, I'll pick up the seti and I'll, I'll hoover underneath the seti. Maybe you've never even ever hoovered under your seti. Tell you what you're going to do when you go home now this week. You're going to move the seti and hoover. It's like, oh, it might be dusty under there. We did find some money as well, and it was mine. <laughs> you can come again. Right on cue. So we, we, you know, we, when we have a spring clean in the house, then we kind of recognize some of the dirt that we may have missed. Sometimes you might get used to something being there. Perhaps you get attached to cobwebs and think, huh, I haven't, I haven't really noticed it. And you, you kind of just leave it there because you become used to it. There has to be a time in our life where we spring clean and we get rid of the leaven. And we clean out what doesn't need to be in our lives. And the Lord said one of the, uh, the marks of leaven is the leaven of hypocrisy. We know what hypocrisy means. Hypocrisy is an actor, a stage player, somebody who wears a mask. Uh, he, 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 the Lord declared the Pharisees as hypocrites. They looked like the perfect religious leaders. And yet they would say one thing in public but they would live their lives a completely and utterly different way. In wearing a mask, they would look and sound like something they were not. Hypocrisy is profession of Christ without possession of Christ. It's about putting on a face to put on a show. You know, maybe sometimes we feel like hypocrites when we sin, but that's not hypocrisy, that's conviction. You know, if we sin and then we, we feel that guilt, that's a conviction. If we go ahead and willfully sin, that's hypocrisy. Because then what we're doing is we're either um, pretending, play acting, or justifying. That's hypocrisy. Um, you know, pretending to, uh, you know, hypocrisy is not about sinning. Uh, it's not about failing to live up to a standard. It's pretending to live up to a standard. Hypocrisy is always pretense. Um, so you have that, um, you know, the, 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 uh, 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 the leaven of hypocrisy. Um, then there is the leaven of worldly desire. And the Lord put it this way. He said to his disciples, take heed, beware of the leaven of Herod. What was the leaven of Herod? Um, Herod was the king um, who uh, Herod killed, Herod the Great killed all the children in Bethlehem at the birth of Christ. Herod Antipas, um, that Jesus called a fox and who had John um, the Baptist beheaded. And then Herod Agrippa, who had James killed. So there's three different Herods um, in the scripture. Um, so what um, was the leaven of Herod? In the context of Mark chapter 8, um, the Pharisees uh, came forth and they came forth and they began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. So they were tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. Commenting on this, Jesus connects their worldly spirit 
with the spirit of Herods. The Herods were hedonists. The hedonists, all wanted out of life was a good time. They embraced that kind of Greek um, culture, um, which basically said, anything goes. Um, There was a moment when Herod wanted to see Jesus. If you remember when Christ was in Jerusalem, and Pilate remembered that, that you know, he knew that Jesus was from uh, Galilee, that, therefore he came under Herod's jurisdiction, and when he found out Herod was in Jerusalem, he's like, Fraud, you know what, you go and see Herod. And Herod said, oh, I've, I've been wanting to see you. But he wanted to see Jesus for the parlor tricks. He wanted to see the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ had performed. He basically wanted to be entertained. He was so wrapped up in his company, he was so wrapped up in playing to the crowd that Herod paid no thought for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the leaven of worldliness. Christ, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, was right in front of Herod. But he was so concerned about his lifestyle, about his, um, his, uh, his, yeah, appearance is sort of, yeah, that's, he was so concerned about what other people thought of him, um, but he didn't take the Lord Jesus Christ seriously. You know, sometimes... As believers, when we are in a situation whereby it's time to take a stand, sometimes we don't. And we know when we should have and we don't because we feel that conviction. Herod had the opportunity to really know the Lord, and he didn't. Reputation, that's what I was thinking of. I was 50 now, see how his mind is going. So beware of the leaven of worldliness. The world can affect us. If we spend too much time in the world, some of the world will rub off on us. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. So there's the leaven of worldliness. Then there's the leaven of moral defilement. Turn to 1 Corinthians. It was was too much scripture that try and put up in a PowerPoint. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul says this, verses 1 to 7. He said, It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that they have done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he had gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, your glorifying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as Ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Paul here is talking about the leaven of moral defilement. 
Here is a sin that was the talk of the church at Corinth. It was a public sin. This is a sin of a Christian who is not privately struggling with something. This is a sin that this particular believer has done openly and, if anything, has done it in a flaunting and immoral manner. The sin in question is fornication. The word fornication is pornea, uh, which is where we get the word pornography from. Uh, It conveys the idea of selling bodies, male or female, for lustful purposes. The Roman world was used to sexual immorality. It it, it, it was nothing in the Roman world. But this particular sin that was taking place in this church, Paul said even the Gentiles don't go anywhere near that type of sin. And instead of dealing with it, they gossiped about it. Instead of disciplining the man, um, which they should have done, they should have expelled him, they they were kind of justifying what he had done. For the church to tolerate even little sins puts the whole body in danger. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If we allow a little sin to creep into the church, it won't take long before it's permeated right the way throughout. If we start saying, well, you know, this is okay, and and that's okay, and it doesn't matter, and it's, you know, it doesn't really hurt, and it does. It'll affect the whole church. We shouldn't allow any activity that brings reproach upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're meant to be different, then we need to look different, and we need to act different, and we ought not to allow And I'll be honest with you, I go to some churches in America and you can't tell the difference between whether it's a church or whether it's a concert hall. And listen, I'm all for using music to praise the Lord. But when you don't really know whether you've come for the entertainment, you know, it's a big business in America. You you know, you got pastors coming out to smoke machines. Josh? You'll have one set up now by the time I come home. But we're not in the entertainment business. We're not here to entertain. We're here to preach the gospel. And that gospel is sometimes going to cause us to get hurt. It's sometimes going to cause us to look within ourselves and see about changing some things. But when we start to allow the world to creep into the church so that you can't tell the difference between the world and the church... We're not reaching the world. We're just becoming like the world. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. There is the leaven of worldliness. And then there's the leaven of flawed doctrine. You know, a lot of people are like, what do you believe as a church? Why do you teach that as a church? Doctrine just means basic Bible teaching. Um, Doctrine just means biblical truth. It's not a a complicated word. It, It just means, you know, what we what we believe. And there's leaven of flawed doctrine. The Lord Jesus Christ said this, Matthew 16, uh, then Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then in verse 11, he says, how, because uh, when the disciples heard this, they didn't really know what the Lord was talking about. 
And then the Lord said to them, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread? He wasn't talking about the fact that he forgot to bring bread with him. He is saying that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What they taught. The Pharisees believed that righteousness before God could be achieved by human effort. They were wrong. Their doctrine was flawed. You couldn't obey the law and please God. The Sadducees denied the resurrection. They were theologians, sometimes called existentialists, believing that there was no afterlife, that this was it. And they were wrong. Their doctrine was flawed. And here's the thing. You need to be careful with who you listen to when you download a sermon. Because just because somebody opens up the Bible and says, this is the word of God, their doctrine can still be flawed. And you might say, well, how do we know that your doctrine's not flawed? Um, because it's not. <laughs> well, that's why I always say to you, prove all things. Don't just take my word for what I say from the pulpit. Line it up with the scripture. And if I'm wrong, I'll happy to be sit down with you and point out why I'm right. But you need to be careful with what you are listening to. Um, you know, we've, we've had people come to the church and they've come from a different church and their doctrines don't line up with us. And they're not always going to fit with the way that we believe or teach or preach or because the doctrine is different. And the Lord said, beware of false doctrine. Beware of doctrine that's damaging. You know, and you could say, well, there's some things that doesn't really matter. Does it matter um, whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ returns before the rapture or after the rapture um, in terms of salvation? No, it doesn't. Um, but it'll affect your walk with the Lord. It'll affect your confidence in the Lord. You know, if we started turning around and saying, well, you know, Mary wasn't a virgin, or Mary was a co-redemptrix, or, you know, Mary's just got as much power as the Lord Jesus Christ has, we, then we can have a problem with flawed doctrine. The Lord Jesus Christ was virgin born. The Lord Jesus Christ was without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ was the angel of the Lord of the Old Testament and Jehovah God of the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ was God, is God, and always will be God. The Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect man who came to fulfill the law 100% uh, so that he could die upon the cross of Calvary, so that he could complete the law that we could not complete, so he could pay the sin debt that we could not pay, so that he could save our souls and grant us a home in heaven, all of which was ruined at the Garden of Eden. And if any Anybody is off on that, guess what? Our beliefs are not going to line up. I don't believe that Jesus was just a good teacher. I don't believe Jesus is one of the, the, the cool guys and that, you know, we can kind of get to know him. And he's God. He's God in the flesh. He's perfect without sin. His blood was the perfect spotless blood that could pay for the sins of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ said, beware of the leaven of flawed doctrine. Be careful who you listen to. If you, and listen, I'll read commentaries and I'll, I'll look at something and I think, yeah, I'm not sure about that. And I'll, I'll look at the Bible and I think, well, the, the Bible kind of makes more sense than the doctrine does. 
Just because a commentator has written it down doesn't mean that they're right. Just because you've got Bible notes at the bottom of your Bible, that's not the inspired bit. The inspired bit is above that. Just because you've got notes in the bottom of your Bible, it doesn't mean that they are the Word of God. It's just that some man has written them down there to try and help with some of the Scripture. It doesn't mean they're all perfect. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. When false doctrine enters the church, that's when the damage starts. If you remember, when the church in the book of Acts was persecuted, it grew. And Satan had to change tactics. And instead of persecuting the church, he perverted the church. Gnosticism started to creep in. Intellectualism started to creep in. Worldliness started to creep in. That's why we've got the New Testament. The New Testament is in our hands because Paul is like, guys, this is not what you're meant to be doing. And they are letters of rebuke. Beware of the leaven of worldliness. Get it out. Purge it. Beware of the leaven of hypocrisy. Get it out. Purge it. Beware of the leaven of sensuality, of sexual immorality. Get it out of our lives. Beware of the leaven of false or flawed doctrine. Spring clean. Make sure that we get rid of that leaven from our lives. You know, we, I think this is probably one of the feasts that is more... I, I talk more about how this relates to us than I do about what God did or, or what Christ did because of the incredible picture that we have in what leaven means. Purge it. Get rid of it. Spring clean. Get it out of your lives. It doesn't need to be there. Passover happened one time. Salvation happens one time. Sanctification. The setting apart. The becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, is something that takes a longer time. It is something that happens over a period of time. We never stop growing as believers. We're never stagnant. We always have the opportunity to grow. I know it's not spring. We've just celebrated harvest. Everything is like orange and browns and, and reddy colors and but let's have a spring clean spiritually. Let's spring clean our lives. Search the house. Make sure, first of all, that the house has got the blood over the lintels of the door. Make sure you've applied the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to your doorpost, to your heart. And then they were to go through that house. After that event, they were to go through the house and search and search and search and make sure that there was no leaven in there whatsoever. Purge it. Get rid of it. Spring clean. Clear out the leaven from your life. It was a picture of getting um, Israel out of Egypt quickly, not having enough time for the dough to rise, but also a picture of the, the corruption that they were to leave behind. We've been saved not to stay the way we are. We've been saved not to keep doing the things that Christ saved us from. We've been saved to not keep doing the things that put him on the cross in the first place. Clear out the leaven. 
have a spring clean. It'll make a might. You know, we, were, we sat down last night in the comfort knowing there wasn't an ounce of dust anywhere in our living room. Seen or unseen. And it was something quite comforting, but I was like, ah, no dust. You clean out your lives. You get rid of the leaven. Can I say this spiritually? You can sit down, not rest on your laurels, but you can just sit down in the comfort knowing I've had a good clean out. I've had a good spring clean. And we can only do that with his help. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together tonight and for the opportunity to come around your word. Lord, we just pray that you'd help us all tonight to have that spring clean, to get rid of any leaven that's in our lives that shouldn't be there, that leaven of hypocrisy where we say one thing um, to our Christian friends and we act a completely different way to our work colleagues or our our unbelieving friends. Help us, Lord, to clean out the leaven of hypocrisy. Help us to clean out uh, the leaven of sensuality, Lord, that uh, we don't have uh, that immorality in our lives that we've been saved from. Help us to clean out the leaven of worldliness. We've been saved from the world. We don't want the world to, to have a, 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 an influence on our lives. We want to be influenced by the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to clean out the leaven of flawed doctrine, that we don't allow a false teaching to creep into our lives that affects our walk with you, that affects our commitment to you or our dedication to you. Lord, help us to spring clean our hearts today that we might get rid of any of that leaven that ought not to be in our lives. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. And we just pray that you continue to guide us and direct us in the area of spring cleaning our lives, that we might be more of a witness and a testimony for you. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. And we stand as we sing.
And if Alistair will close us in a word of prayer. Thanks, Alistair. Thank you all again for the time we had together. And I just pray, Lord, that we would inspect ourselves this week and look at our hearts and look at our souls and look at where we are and where we stand with you. And I pray, God, we would be honest with ourselves and open with who you are to us. Would you bless us as we spring clean our lives and truly open ourselves to you and you alone. Give us strength to resist the things of this world and give us hope to know upon the Father. In Jesus' name I ask that you store it.